On the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. Then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. As Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by the crowds. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Everyone denied it, and Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, Someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking to her, a messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. He told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But when Jesus heard what had happened, he said to Jairus, Don't be afraid, just have faith, and she will be healed. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I invite you to pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this night and for the opportunity to gather. We thank you for your presence with us. Lord, it's, uh, it's good to know that we can gather on this evening and we can begin this journey together, a journey that you have been on, a journey that you are inviting us into, a journey that will lead us um, through highs and through lows and then back to highs again. And so we ask, O oh, holy and good loving God, that you would be with us now. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to respond to what you would have what you would have to say to us both tonight and throughout these next 40 days. For all this we give thanks in the name of Jesus and all God's people said. Amen. The season of Lent is often thought of as a time to give up things, uh, as a sign for our penitence. That's a word that's an older word we don't use a lot. Penitence is a public sign uh, or an action of our sorrow uh, for having done wrong. It's, it's, a, it's a public version of repentance. For some, it's become a, a bit of a payment system, though, uh, like we're doing something uncomfortable that will help us pay for our sins. Uh, I don't like that. I don't think it's necessary. I understand the reasons for doing it, though. Um, but to assume we can do anything to barter or pay off our debts, well, it's, it's just useless. But again, I get it. Giving up chocolate or Diet Coke for the season can be uncomfortable for some, but giving up luxuries isn't really what penitence and Lent is about. Instead, this is a season, a time to seek awareness. It's a time to acknowledge what's broken uh, and what brokenness and sin has done. Uh, it's a time to see that sin doesn't just put us on a slippery slope to hell, but it sees that there's, there's these damaging effects that sin has had that's crept into every facet of our lives. Um, hell is already breaking out around us. A lot of people are in the midst of it, living it. And the penitence of Lent invites us to see life with, well, with different eyes. 
the extent of that brokenness. What penitence is intended to release in us is an awareness of desperation, which is why it's easy to see why people will give up things uh, as an attempt to clear a whole year's worth of bad ledger. (laughs) Some people fling themselves into this season. Others casually appreciate it. Still others kind of blindly move right along through Lent with no consideration whatsoever. But uh, can I let you know something this evening? We need this season. We need Lent. We need to come face to face with the brokenness that sin has created in ourselves, in our relationships, in the world, in creation itself, and most of all, in the place of our standing with God. In this scripture reading, we see desperation played out. A a father pleads uh, with Jesus to heal his 12-year-old daughter. Jesus has returned from the other side of the lake. That's Bible code for where good and holy people don't go. (laughs) The crowds, they want to be with Jesus, but they don't want to be over there. So they, they sit back and they wait. And as he steps off the boat, a a frantic father runs at him. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all share that his name is Jairus, Yair in Hebrew. He's a religious leader in the synagogue. He is someone that the crowds look to uh, as a a shepherd, as a leader, as a guidance. Up to this point, there hasn't been a lot of good vibes between Jesus and the Pharisees, though, have there? Hasn't been all warm and fuzzy, (laughs) But Jairus is, is desperate. I gave you the Hebrew name, Yair, because that mean, name means the enlightened one. Could it be that this man realizes that his only hope is this man who's been with them over there on the other side of the lake? Who does all the, who, who, this man who does all the religious stuff wrong, um, who seems to not give a fig about the way it's always been. Don't you love that phrase? You can laugh. It's Ash Wednesday. You can still do that. It's okay. And Jesus, what does he do? We're told he goes. That's it. He goes with the dad who is at the end of his rope. And as they walk, I imagine this frantic feeling in the crowd. Put your imagination caps with me. Can you just feel the intensity of the moment? Jesus may not be in a hurry, but the dad sure is. The crowd sure is. I even think the disciples are. The whole scene just has this feeling of rushed, and it's in the rush that this second story of desperation comes out. This woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, she has suffered deeply. Mark's gospel says that she suffered at the hands of doctors and was broke. She got nothing left. She got no more options, and she didn't even have the funds to pay for them if she did. And she knows that talking to Jesus would expose him to the strict rules of cleanliness, of purity, to declare him unclean. But she also knows that speaking to him might actually be her only hope. She didn't care about the whispers from the crowd. She didn't even really care about the embarrassment. So the woman sees the crowd, and they're headed towards her. And what does she do? She stoops low. In direct line of the upcoming crowd. I think we often visualize this woman going, uh-uh. She, if she could only touch what? The hem of his garment. Where's that? That's down by his feet. See, she believed that if she got down low, even with a crowd approaching, even as she strained to reach amongst the mass of humanity pressed on, if she could just but barely graze 
that robe, that hem of his garments, then maybe, maybe it would be just enough. Well, the story tells us it was enough. The woman feels this electricity. The, the shock of wholeness rushes through her body. She knows that she heal, is healed and everything is different in a split second. And as she absorbs her healing, Jesus speaks, who touched me? It's a ridiculous question. There's a dozen disciples, a frantic dad pulling Jesus on the road and the crowds that are surrounding him. And she wants to know who touched me. Eventually, the woman, shy from her years of suffering and her isolation, she musters up the courage and she acknowledges what she's done. Her body, now whole. What does Jesus do? He offers her a soul wholeness. He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. I imagine she's elated. Jesus is smiling and the impatience of dad just is about at its breaking point. He's got to get him, this man, home to his daughter. And as he begins to pull the master back into action, what occurs? A servant arrives and says, don't bother. It's the worst news that any parent could ever hear. Your daughter is gone. And the dad's desperation turns to despair. But what does Jesus do? He speaks, Jairus, Jairus, have faith. Let's keep going. They arrive. The grief is palpable. The mother has more tears. While the neighbors and the relatives are trying to make arrangements, Jesus quiets the noise, enters the room, and what's he say? My child, get up. I love how brief he is. (laughs) The words are commanding and calm in the face of this ultimate enemy that's death. And what does she do? She stirs and her eyes open and she breathes and her parents collapse into the arms of their now living daughter. Wow. Come on, say it with me. Wow. In a moment, as quick as the flick of her snap, this woman who suffered for 12 years, she's whole. With a word and a command, a 12-year-old daughter who is, is brought back to life, the woman reaches out. She puts herself into a horrible situation. On the ground, as a mob goes by, she stretches and she reasons that even the hem of his garment is enough. Do you know that the hem of a Jewish garment is very special? It's where the covering of God is to be attached to every person of covenant. To touch these tassels was to touch God's presence, to touch God's dwelling in that person. See, she believes that the very authority that comes from Jesus' prayer tassel is enough for her to be whole. The father, overcome with this desperation and grief, sees what a little faith can do. What could a little bit more achieve? Could a dead daughter be brought back to life? And as broken as he is, he joins Jesus on the march home. But if he was the one leading before, who's leading the mob now? If they rush when she was sick, did they trudge knowing that death always wins? Does she have to be the one? Does Jesus have to be the one who's driving the company forward at this point? The story contains a, a whole lot to mine from. I'd encourage you to go home and read it about 20 times in the next couple of days. Notice, though, that Jesus goes. When he touches, he stops what he's doing to honor and to to give even deeper healing. When the father hears the words of the death of his baby girl, Jesus speaks hope and encouragement and faith. And when the crowds could only see death, Jesus says, get up. 
Someone, maybe all of us, are in need of an encounter. You may know it. You may not know it. But what I know is that this is a season of encounters. It's a season for sitting and for stretching. It's a season to walk and to look for wholeness. It's a season to understand the extent of the impact of our sin and our brokenness. It's a season to see what our pollution has done and how it's affected our lives. But it's also a season to know that Jesus enters into the yuck and he shares in our sickness. He touches the unclean. He offers wholeness and and hope. Brothers and sisters, as you and I enter this season of Lent, can I encourage you to not race through and give little thought to the years of desperation? Can I encourage you to not just give up something extra, but instead choose to sit down those things, set them aside, things that will that will block us, keep us from an invitation to encounter Jesus. Even if you got to plop down in the middle of the street in order to stretch a bit, can you, can, you, can you do that? But as we do, let's be aware that our sin has been dealt with. As we begin Lent, we're still an Easter people. It doesn't mean that it's fruitless to pause and be aware of the places where ongoing healing and wholeness is, is needed, though. So as we sit, and as we quiet ourselves, as we acknowledge the ways in which sin and brokenness has affected so many spaces, may we, may we encounter the man who welcomes the trembling touch and responds to the bedraggled heart and says, don't be afraid. Get up. He's near, and he wants you to encounter him this season. Brothers and sisters in Christ, early Christians observed with great devotion the days of our Lord's passion and resurrection. And it became the custom of the church that before the Easter celebration, there should be a 40-day season of spiritual preparation. During this season, converts to the faith were prepared for holy baptism. It was also a time when persons who had committed serious sins and had separated themselves from the community of faith were reconciled by penitence and forgiveness, restored to participation in the life of the church. In this way, the whole congregation was reminded of the mercy and forgiveness proclaimed in the gospel of Jesus Christ and the need we all have to renew our faith. I invite you, therefore, in the name of the church to observe a holy Lent by self-examination and repentance, by prayer, fasting, and self-denial, and by reading and meditating on God's holy word. To make a right beginning of repentance and as a mark of our moral nature, we are invited to explore, engage, and receive the sign of repentance and to come to this holy table tonight. Would you take a second and prepare your hearts for an encounter?